We're going to turn our attention to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish up this chapter. This is the second half of last week's message. Um, I told you last week that I cut it off so that we would uh, have time to get to some of the services that were taking place after worship. So uh, I hope you weren't expecting this to be just a five, ten minute message. <laughs> if you were, you're going to be disappointed. It's going to take a little bit longer than that, but we pray that it won't be too long. And we are going to uh, trust God with it. Uh, he has been faithful to us, hasn't he? Aren't you glad of God's faithfulness? Amen. You know, we are looking here and because of his faithfulness, we, we know he is worthy of our devotion. This is the seventh message through this book of Second Peter. It is a short book. We're finishing up chapter two today and it is our seventh message. This is the fourth message here in, I, uh, here just in chapter two. As we look in, Today, we're going to look in verses 20 through 22. Now, in 2002, as you're turning to verses 20 and 22, in 2002, George Barna conducted a survey of self-professing Christians and their knowledge of the Bible. Now, every time you hear George Barna, it's usually going to, it's going to be a survey and he's going to give statistics. And part of the statistics that he shares in this particular survey of Christians, Christians, born again believers, and their knowledge of the Bible, he says 48% cannot name all four Gospels. He says 52% cannot identify more than two or three of Jesus' disciples. 60% of American Christians can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. 61% of American Christians think the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. 71% of American Christians think God helps those who help themselves is an actual Bible verse. I pray none of you Christians in here today fall into this. But if you do, I want to encourage you to spend time in God's word. George Barna stated, no wonder Christians by the thousands are falling prey to false teachers of our day. They are being fed junk food and they don't feed themselves on the word of God. He said they are desperately in need of a solid diet of good food, the scriptures. We need to get in spiritual shape. It is, a, it is easy for false teachers to lead us astray when we don't know what to defend them with. Well, we defend them with God's word. But the only way to defend against them with God's word is to know the truth of God's word. And Peter wants us to understand today that false teachers, they're all around us. And we've got to be prepared. And in, in, here in Second Peter, in verses 20 through 22, the Bible says this. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world... 
through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it is, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to wallow in the mire. This is God's holy word. Pray with us. God, as we look to you today, we understand that we need you. For God, the the words that we share today, we need to share from you. So God, we ask that you'd be with us, that you'd lead God and direct everything that comes from our mouth, that it would be a sweet aroma to your nostrils, and that God, we would continue in our worship of you. Now God, we pray that you would have your way, that you would speak to every heart here, that you'd use your words to to edify your people, as your people will glorify and magnify the name of your son. God, we pray that you would take the broken words of your servant and fix and form and fashion them in all our hearts and for those who don't know you, for the forgiveness of sin, that today would be a day that they'd give thought to their life and they'd cry out to you. And God, we'll praise you for what's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. First, the first time I ever read these verses, they caught me by surprise. They really caught me off guard. I had no idea what they were pertaining to. And, and the more study I'd done, the, the more I began to really have it open up to me. But, but I can see where anyone can be confused with these three verses. So today I want to help us to make sure that, that we have a clear understanding of what the writer is saying to his readers and what the Bible is saying to us today. And we, we learned last week, and, and this is the second sentence to this paragraph that we started last week. And we learned last week that false teachers employ a very strategic plan to deceive people. They begin by appealing to people through great swelling words, or King James uses boastful words. They use words to allure people through the lust of their flesh. And when they've done this, they begin to make promises of prosperity that are just empty. And that leads them into, into captivity or it, it leads them into an imprisonment of this world. The plan has been highly effective down through the ages. And, and even today, this plan is still being employed. And it is still being highly effective. And as we look at these three verses, the warnings given are given to those who are entangled in the deception of false teachers. Now, I pray that you don't find yourself entangled with false teachers, but I, I do understand we live in a broken world. We live in a world where people are wanting to push their own thoughts and their own opinions, and, and they're wanting to, to say, they're saying things that really seems to make sense from time to time, but the truth is when we, when we take the word of God against what people are declaring, we find truth in God's word. 
We won't find truth in man unless he is actually declaring the truth of God's word. Man is telling us today that that our children need to make their own decisions. that, That parents should not be pushing religion or anything else on children that we should let them grow up and and let them find out in the world themselves but but a good godly parent will will help lead their child to know that Jesus Christ is the truth he is the way and he is the life and there's no way to eternal life without him we can't go on what the world feels is right we must go on what the bible declares is right the world is telling us all sorts of things And we're taking it because they present it in such a way that it it makes sense to us when we don't weigh it against the word of God. But you know, when we weigh it against God's word, his word will make more sense to us than anything else. So here we find in this passage, here we, uh, that there's a warning against returning to the world. We see that there in the very first phrase, there's a warning against, or in the very first verse, in verse 20, for it, for if after they had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome and the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. He's letting us know, he's giving us here a warning that, that we aren't to return to the world. If we've, if we've tasted the goodness of Jesus, if we found that he is, he is sweeter than honey and even the honeycomb, then, then we ought to just continue following him. We'll never find anything in the world that's as good as Jesus Christ. We would think that after someone has escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we would think how could they become deceived by the words of men and women and and be led astray? After all, upon professing Jesus Christ, what we begin to notice with people is a cleaning up takes place. People stop drinking. They stop smoking. They start to clean up their language. They, they start going to church. Some are baptized. Some become members of the church and some even share their testimony. They say and do all the right things and the question again becomes how can someone who has been reformed in such a way turn away from the Lord well the truth is this a reformation has taken place in their lives but what they need is a true transformation they profess Jesus as their Lord but and as their Savior but they never possess him as their Lord and Savior these are, are folks who've turned over a, a new leaf but they haven't been born into a new life And there is a difference in turning over a new leaf and being born into a new life. We see this example in the scriptures when we think of or we look at the story of Ruth. Ruth and Orpha, they, these are two women who were born and raised in paganism as Moabite women. But these two women married Hebrew men who were brothers and they were sons of... Let me say this right if I can. Elimelech and Naomi. Being married to Hebrew men, both these women heard the truth of the one true and living God. 
They had heard all the stories of how God had brought Israel out of Egypt, how they crossed over the sea on on dry ground, how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and how God preserved them, how even their shoes did not wear out in their wanderings. How God had kept them, how they entered into the promised land and, and how God gave them everything that he had promised. They heard all of these things because they were married to Hebrew men. Well, both these women lost their husbands to death. And while Elimelech having died prior to his sons, Naomi, Elimelech's wife, decided she was going to return to the fellowship of her people. Both Ruth and Orpah shared that that wherever Naomi went, they were going to follow. As a matter of fact, we see this in in verse 8 and verse 8 through verse 10 in in chapter 1 of Ruth. The Bible says that Naomi said to to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you, grant that you may first rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. In other words, they declared to this woman their allegiance to her. They declared to this woman their allegiance to her people. They declared to this woman their allegiance to her God because they were going to follow her back to live among the people of God. Naomi continued to insist that these women go back to their their homes and and, and go back to their families and find a husband among their people. You know, here, her her sons have just died and now now she's telling them, go find your husband. I'm going to leave that right there. I'm going to leave that right there. That's a message for another day. (laughs) You know, we'll we'll lose our minds if our our son-in-law marries somebody too soon in our eyes. I'm going to leave that alone. Here, Ruth is telling them, Ruth is telling them to, to actually go back and find your husband. Find someone to take care of you. And in, verses, in verse 14, what we find is that one of her daughters, daughter-in-laws, after pledging her allegiance, decides she's going to turn back. As they begin to walk toward Bethlehem, as they begin walking toward that city, that town, that place they called the, the, the house of bread. As they begin to walk toward a place where it's filled with the people of God, Orpah decides, I don't want to go. She changes her mind. In Ruth 1 and 14, the Bible says, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You see, Orpah went back to what was familiar to her. But Ruth, Orpah's sister-in-law, another Moabite woman, she would not return to her land. Instead, she declared to Naomi in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you, nor to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. 
And here we find in this, ver- in this passage that Peter is telling us in the text to not be like Orpah. To, he's warning us that we are not to, to do as she done, to declare our allegiance and then to walk away. Orpah knew as, knew as much about God and God's people as Ruth did, but it wasn't enough for her. She decided she'd rather live among the comfort of her people and fall back in the paganism of her land. But while she was born a Moabite, it didn't it wasn't her fault that she was born a a Moabite she didn't know any better by being born a a Moabite but after gaining knowledge of the one true God after gaining knowledge of a better way of life she chose to return to turn away from the truth and to return back to a life of sin I want to tell you once we we can't help the fact that we were born in sin and we were shaped in iniquity we had nothing to do with that we knew nothing else but when we come to the knowledge that we are sinners in need of a savior and we come to know that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world we must not profess we must not only profess Jesus Christ as our Lord as our savior but we must also possess him as our Lord and savior in other words we need to know that he belongs to us and that we belong to him we can't just have an emotional experience that just reforms our life Instead, if we do, we're going to find ourselves wanting more. We'll find ourselves realizing that Jesus just isn't enough for us because there's so much more out there. Instead, we must have a real intimate experience that transforms our lives. If not, when the genuineness of our faith is tested, we'll find ourselves choosing to walk back into our old life. Folks, our lives have to be transformed. You know what happens with reform? What happens with reformation? We think, this country thinks it can reform a prisoner. It thinks it can reform a rapist. It thinks it can reform a murderer. You know what they do? They get out and they go back to who they are. They go back to doing what they've always done. That's reform. But a transformation is a change takes place. And you are no longer the same. You don't look the same. You don't walk the same. You don't talk the same. You don't live the same when you've actually been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter reminds us that about a reformation, it would have been better if we'd have never known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. In other words, the holy commandment, the holy word of God. Perhaps when we think of why, why would Peter say that? Why would he say it's better if we had never known than to have known it and turned away? Perhaps it's because the person, this person becomes a false teacher and will face the same judgment as a false teacher. This person has come before the church and has seemed to have their lives cleaned up, but then they turn and they go back to the world. It brings confusion to others and it gives the impression to some that that God can't hold us and he can't keep us. And this has led to actually a false teaching within the churches that we have to help God with our salvation. 
We have to hold on to him. I want to tell you, I don't hold on to God. I don't have enough strength to hold on to God. In my weakness, in my frailty, I can't hold him and keep holding, keep holding. Sooner or later, I'm going to let go. But I thank God that he's holding me because in the unchanging hand of God, he can hold me for all eternity. Or perhaps he says this, because once someone has come to the knowledge of righteousness and has turned away from it, their pride and their guilt and their shame, it makes it much harder for them to humble themselves and acknowledge the truth that they've never truly been saved. Or perhaps this person is actually one of those Jesus references in Matthew 7. Because in Matthew 7 and 21, the Bible says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of his Father in heaven. Or maybe, just maybe, just maybe they're part of those he refers to in Mark 8. In Mark 8 and 38, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Regardless of these possibilities, we must know that we know that we know that we've been born again. So that the genuineness, because it will be tested when it is tested, and it'll be tested by fire. Listen, you talk to any Christian that's been a Christian for any length of time, they'll tell you about fire that they've had to walk through. But they'll also tell you about Jesus holding their hand as they walk through it. Come out unburned. It will be tested. And if we're genuine, genuine in our faith, we'll be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a warning Peter is giving. And the warning is... <laughs> If you've tasted the goodness of Jesus, don't turn back to the world. But he gives, he tells us why. He gives us the warning that there's a chance we may become repulsive to God. Peter concludes this chapter with two illustrations. He seems to liken the illustrations to those who have known the truth but walked away from it. He begins by illustrating someone who walks by their flesh. Someone, some of you may not like this, but um, I'm speaking according to the inspired word of God. So if you get upset, get upset with Peter and Jesus. <laughs> don't, don't get upset with me. <laughs> you know, that's what I like about preaching through books and preaching through series because you, you have to preach what's next. I can't run from it. And this is what was next. Here what we find is it begins by talking about walking in the flesh. When Peter speaks of walking by the flesh, he likens them to a dog. In order for a dog to satisfy his appetite or its flesh, it will, it will eat the foulest of things. Uh, it will go back to its own vomit. According to scripture, Peter didn't make this up. It's actually a quote from Solomon that we find in Proverbs 26 and 11. It says, a dog return, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. <laughs> oh, to know that you messed up and to go and do the same thing again, 
<laughs> he's calling you a fool. We're no different than a dog. That's what the scripture is saying. Boy, I tell you, it, it slapped me. I don't know how it hits you right now, but it slaps me. Because how often don't we? Don't we go back to what we know we have no business doing? No matter how vile, filthy a man or woman who has not experienced a, a true transformation, they will return back to what will satisfy their flesh. They will repeat their folly. But Peter doesn't just speak of those who are walking by flesh. He speaks of those who are walking by their feelings. He likens them to a hog. <laughs> he shares that no matter how well you clean up a hog, it's going to go back to what feels good. Boy, that gives you another uh, picture of these feel-good messages that some of these pastors on television like to preach. That they don't want to preach the blood of Jesus Christ. They don't want to preach the truth of the gospel. They just want to tickle our ears and, and make us feel good about ourselves. Peter likens them to a hog. He says that you can give them a bath. You can have their hair shining. But it's once you let loose of that hog, it's going right back to the mud, the muck, and the mire. It's going back to where it feels right at home. It's going back to where it feels good to them. Just wallowing all in mess. You know, a dog and a sow will do what it does because that's what it is. They will, betray, they will not betray their true nature. And someone who has not truly been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ will always go back to who they truly are. They, they may clean up for a while. They may walk the walk of a Christian. They may talk the talk of a Christian. But if they haven't been truly born again, they'll go back to their old way of life. The Christian life is not about having the willpower to change your life. Instead, the Christian life is is about being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to know that we belong to him because playing games with God is not only insulting to him, but it's repulsive to him. Listen, I'm coming to a close. We can't stomach no more. You've gotten so quiet on me. There's a great deal of difference. I want you to get this. There is a great deal of difference between a backslider and a person that Peter's speaking of right now. You know, a, a backslider is someone who has genuinely been saved. And I, I know the life of a backslider. I was saved at 10 years old and I can remember that day just as if it was yesterday. I can remember what took place as just if it was yesterday. I can remember how I felt. I can remember what I believed. I can remember what, who I accepted. I can remember what took place on that day. I was genuinely saved that day, but I did walk away from God. Here, a backslider is someone who, who may, they just may walk away from God for a time. They're going to walk away from him, but, but at some point in their life, they're either going to come back to God or they're going to leave this world prematurely. They leave this world right in their sin. But every day of their life is going to be marred by guilt and shame. Every day of their life is going to be a, a life of brokenness. Folks, we can't. I, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced of this and no one will ever change my mind. Anyone who says that they are a Christian or says that they have been saved, but they can't, but they can willfully 
walk away from God. They can willfully sin with no guilt, no shame, no conviction. They've never truly been saved. And that's who Peter is talking about today. He's not talking about you who are backsliders. But he's talking about those who... (laughs) Those who want to ride the fence. Those that Jesus says are neither hot nor cold. Those that he declares he will spew out of his mouth. Those who think they're saved, but they've never truly been born again. He's talking about those who've come and made a profession and left an impression on us, but they went right back to the world to live as they wanted to live according to their feelings and according to their flesh. And they said they're right. That's who Peter's talking about. But let me ask you, what about you? Let me ask you today as we're closing, what about you? Have you found yourself in a backslidden condition? Has your fellowship with God been broken? You have a relationship with him. You've believed on Jesus Christ and you, you believe who he is and what he's done. But you've walked away. If that's you, you can have your fellowship restored. All you have to do is call out to him. Seek his forgiveness. Commit yourself to following him. And no matter what the devil is telling you, he'll take you back. He'll take you back. He took me back. In the midst of my mess, he took me back. He'll take anybody back. God's in the business of fixing those who are messed up. And he knows how to do it better than any church can do it. He can do it better than we can do it ourselves. Or are you one of those who've come to the realization that you're lost and that you've never truly received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you fall into that category, you can today. You can receive him and he'll be your Lord. He'll be your Savior if you call upon him. Listen, God loves you. Right where you're at, he loves you. The Bible declares in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He declared in Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does love you. But you've got to recognize that you are a sinner in need of a savior. For the Bible tells us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 and 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you so much that while a sinner, he provided salvation for you. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, the Bible tells us, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in Romans 10, 9 through 10, the Bible tells us how we can be saved. That if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Listen, today... (laughs) My question is, will you receive this gift of salvation? Do you believe in your heart? 
If you do, then will you confess him with your mouth? Brother Ronald's going to play a song of invitation, but before he does, I, I just want to ask every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, unsaved, backslider, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. No one's staring at you. And if you want to make things right with God, if you want to receive his son as your Lord and Savior, you first must believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That God sent him from heaven to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. They placed him in a barred tomb and on the third day he rose from the grave. He walked on earth for 40 days and he left with the promise that he's coming back. There's nothing that has to take place that prevents him from coming back so he could come back before we walk out of this building today. The question is, will you be ready? If you're not, are you ready to get ready? For if you believe the gospel. If you believe who Jesus is, just pray this prayer with me. God, I believe Jesus is your son. God, I believe you sent him to this world to die for me. God, I believe he, he gave his life and he took it up again. I believe he's with you right now and I believe he's coming back. Jesus, forgive me of my sins, for I am a sinner. Wash me in your blood and make me white as snow. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Now help me to serve you. Give me the power. I thank you for your spirit that now resides in me. Now guide me each step of the way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.